Hello and welcome to the Marketing Meetup Podcast. My name's Joe Glover and thank you so much for listening today. Today we have Jeremy Connell-Waite, who is the communications designer at IBM. Now, for those of you who already know Jeremy, then you will know that he is pretty much excellent at whatever he chooses to do. For those of you who don't know him, then strap yourself in, because this is one hell of an hour with someone whose brain is the size of planet Earth, I swear. He's so smart, knows so many things, um, and just, I don't know. I stood there for, for an hour and just had my mind blown continually for the duration of this session. Today's session is all about storytelling, and, and in it you will hear Jeremy reference the first session that we did. Uh, it was almost a year ago now about about storytelling. So that session is well worth a listen to. That was one of the most uh, recalled episodes of the Marketing Meetup ever, and it's something that folks speak to me about to this day. So definitely take the time to check that one out too. Uh, but for the meantime, we're going to speak with Jeremy again, all about storytelling. In this session, he speaks about energy, uh, about light, about structures for storytelling, and so much more. It's a real whirlwind of knowledge uh, coming out of the brain of, of a quite brilliant man. So I'm going to stop my introduction there because I think uh, you're going to have a lot of fun listening to today's episode. Uh, but before I do, the, the last thing I need to do is say a big thank you to Cambridge Marketing College, who are the sponsors of this episode. Cambridge Marketing College are the place that you want to go to if you want your CIM, CIPR, or marketing apprenticeships. It's really as simple as that. They've been sponsors of the Marketing Meetup since day one. They're really good people, but they're also good at what they do. It doesn't need to be much more complicated than that, so I'm not going to make it much more complicated than that. So uh, with all that said, let's hand over to Jeremy uh, for an interview today. And just as a, a quick warning, there are some swear words in today's episode. So uh, if there's kids in the car or wherever you're listening, uh, just be warned. Uh, additionally, Jeremy does mention some models. He provided some visuals in today's session, um, which are well worth checking out in the video, uh, which is up on the Marketing Meetup website as well. Um, it's, you, you will definitely get the gist of things from the audio only, but if you want to see the visuals, then, then head to the video. It's all freely available right there. If that's all done, well, that is all done. I can tell you it is. Um, then let's get going. Uh, enjoy this episode and thank you so much for listening. We kind of shot ourselves in the foot last time because we had such a great chat. We covered all the storytelling stuff in one go. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, well, where are we going to go now? Um, and I watched some of it last night. I read the transcripts to that chat and damn, we covered a lot of ground. It was a lot. In a short amount a lot. of time. So I think we're probably going to do a little bit of that again. Um, yeah, just like Joe said, right, we're here to try and help you and add value to you guys. Um, we've both been around a little bit. We have slightly different views of the world. And it's absolutely whatever you want to talk about. We could be your teachers or lecturers or professors, however you want to slice it. Very happy giving lectures and talking at you. I teach at a few big universities and business schools, um, but this is supposed to not be that. But we'd love to teach you some stuff as well, maybe give you some practical things. So I was here's what I was thinking. There's a few places we could go. Um, I'd like to give you a new job title because I think marketing now is harder than ever. And we might even have a look at a video and we might make that much sexier than you even thought it could be. 
in marketing, the context for that, I'm working on a, a deal at the moment. It's a, it's a huge nine figure deal. And there's the initial part of that deal is gonna be a two hour meeting with chief executives. And you've got to explain all the usual stuff, right? How to engage, how to transform a business, joining end-to-end -to -end technology, changing culture, winning hearts and minds, conquering people, all the stuff that we're good at. And I'm treating that entire presentation like a movie. And I'm actually writing the script for that meeting longhand exactly like a movie that you would see on Netflix or in Hollywood. So we could talk about the structure of A, how do you do that? But B, might even be, are you sure that's even relevant when I've got the most technical business over here and I've got to go through the money and the spreadsheets and the software and architecture, whatever else it is. So we could talk about that. I really like the idea of talking about energy Mm -hmm. um, I'm slightly obsessed with three books I'm writing at the moment um, around energy, just like in your physics lessons, you remember you have potential energy, you have kinetic energy, and you think of communicators, and really our jobs is to bring heat, light, and sound. So there's something in that. What does that mean when we're in the heating and lighting business? Um, I think there's mindsets from 300 BC that we could still apply today that we don't think about. We touched on this really briefly last time around Aristotle and rhetoric and hero's journey. Um, and just a couple of other things. I think if you didn't see my video on LinkedIn last week about emotions, mm. I had an epiphany a couple of weeks ago that changed the way I communicate. And it's about how to tell an emotional story. So if you'd like to hear more about that, I'd be happy to dig in and show you where that came from. And lastly, um, I think we're here to do three things really you know we're here to bring clarity and positive energy and we'll talk about that later but i think we're seeking truth we're building trust and we're performing a service so what does that mean in itself seeking truth right what kind of truth building trust trusted advisors how exactly do you do that with emotions and biology and oxytocin storytelling and, and performing a service performing right is as much about bank the performance you know written we've got to make money have economic value on what we do but there's also the ta-da like the performance of charisma commanding a room winning hearts and minds and everything that goes with you know that kind of really deep-rooted personal storytelling so that's the performing bit and what i love about service which will resonate with you joe um if you actually look back at the origin of the word to serve mm -hmm. it's exactly the same as the word to sell Interesting. So I really like that because, you know, as marketers, we're here to make people feel stuff. So they do stuff more often than not. We're trying to sell things. We're trying to sell an idea, a movement, a way of thinking, whatever. So we could go wherever you want. We could talk about problem solving. We could talk about that little shiny silver thing behind me that <laughs> changed my life as well. That's a separate story. But <laughs> you guys tell us what do you want i love it i think i think folks should be uh dropping in the chat feature we've got eve who um is sort of saying speaking about energy uh that certainly seems to be uh something coming through but do drop in the ch chat feature if there's anything that uh comes on heather just says can we have all of it please <laughs> <laughs> and i'm already jealous of great you know, lots of Mancunians today as well which makes me incredibly happy hey. <laughs> i am slightly jealous of rachel in cornwall um, oh. I've just come back from 10 days in Cornwall writing and staring at the ocean. And um, I am that far from moving, I think, to Cornwall. But I'm quite excited about that. I think 
think that sounds like a very very good idea i think the 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 the, the general vibe jeremy is just say it all <laughs> and maybe maybe a slight edging towards the emotive story so perhaps we start there because that was the that was the epiphany right yeah so the thing is i mean i've been thinking about this quite a while right you know how do we tell an emotional story that changes everything i mean that's why we're here you know i've i know this community really well i've even spent a bunch of time with some of you one-to-one -one as well and we're all here to try and make a difference and marketers love bumper stickers you know we love great quotes we love oh you change the world just by sharing your story i was in a marketing um office the other day and it had the big margaret mead quote across the wall you know the famous one yeah. um never doubt that a small thoughtful group of committed citizens can change the world why it's the only thing that ever has oh, it was a sustainability office that had a big poster of greta and it's like no one's too small to make a difference and it's all great stuff yeah. right but how do you do that? And generally what happens is we say, tell an emotional story, tell a human story, be more emotional, be more passionate, be more enthusiastic. Mm. That, first of all, that doesn't help me at all. It doesn't help me give any structure to what I'm trying to do. That's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And all stories, like we talked about last time, have a structure, whether it's your favorite song, favorite speech, favorite movie, you know, or business presentation, they've all got a structure behind them in one form or another. So there's, there's a challenge with the structure. And then it's like, well, we never really talk about the emotions enough in marketing. I study a lot of neuroscience. I spend a lot of time with scientists looking at the scientific method, the psychology. There's five different decision-making styles that every executive has got. We could talk about that if you're interested. Generally speaking, all companies boil down into four different types They're called four company archetypes. So already we're getting in the weeds and you're thinking, well, we don't have one story. We might have 20 stories. Mm. Like, oh shit. Cause we've got, you know, one story, but if I've got five decision-making styles of the execs I'm trying to speak to and four different companies, mm. and I need to be aware of what type of an audience is it and what type of a company is it in my head, I've got one of 20 different stories. Now I need to know how to unpackage that. So I'm not just rolling out the same script with a different level of emotion and you know just trying to be myself. Mm -hmm. So there's hundreds of emotions. And if you Google them, you'll see a color wheel, you'll see a periodic table. It'll be just thousands of them, but it all boils down to eight. And I never really spent that much time focused on what that is thinking as an emotional storyteller. That's trying to connect with a bond with an audience. You're trying to build trust. Ultimately, you're trying to increase oxytocin, build that relationship. You've got what's called five survival emotions and two attachment emotions. So the survival emotions are fear, anger, disgust, shame, and sadness. Mm -hmm. Fear, anger, disgust, shame, and sadness. Anger, you could argue, is a positive emotion, especially in sustainability or climate change, for example, because people are pissed off. They do things. And the, you could talk about hope budgets within that. But the bit that I think about is the vast majority of executives feel overwhelmed. They are fearful. They're scared of losing their jobs, scared of losing to automation, performance management. There's this massive piece of fear. We spoke about this last time. Do you remember? 70,000 thoughts a day we have on average. 90% mm -hmm. the same as yesterday. 80% are negative. So most of us are operating out of this negative mindset or the people we're trying to help are. So these are the survival emotions. Okay, 
well, we want to bring positive emotions because, you know, marketing meetup, we're all about light yeah. and joy and love and trust and joy and excitement. So those are the two attachment emotions, love and trust, mm -hmm. joy and excitement. Mm -hmm. One is connected to dopamine, which is all about storytelling, joy and excitement. And love and trust is connected to oxytocin, trust building a relationship. So those are the two attachment emotions. So usually what happens when we want to change things, mm -hmm. we're from a positive mindset because we're marketers and we always are, everything's shiny and unicorns and sparkles. <laughs> and then most of the time, and often the people we're trying to influence, especially outside of marketing might be negative mindset. We've got to win hearts and minds. We've got to conquer them. The political strategy comes into this. So this was my epiphany. How do you flip from one to the other? Mm. And there's some, have I got the book? Here it is. There's a book that you guys, it's a really old one. It sold like 5 million copies. If you, I'm sure many of you've got it. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for about a year and a half. Year and a half. The eighth emotion is called surprise. It's called a potentiator. It doesn't even sound like an emotion. It sounds like a result of an emotion. But what surprise can do is it's the only emotion, according to you know, this scientific researcher and psychologist, Daniel Goldman, that's collated all of the research that's been around into this one piece that is generally accepted as the core eight emotions. If you wanna flip somebody from one of those five survival states to a positive, the two attachment emotions, you've gotta surprise them. Interesting. And I'm like, that's the simplest idea in the world. And in fact, when you think of marketing campaigns, and great CMOs and the best work you've ever done, the best interview, chances are the turning point was surprise. You did something that they didn't expect. And yet, you know, Troy's on the, on the line from Shanghai. You know, we talk about Nancy Duarte all the time, right? The Greek, the queen of storytelling. She talks about star moments, something they'll always remember. But that's really just introducing a surprise into the story. What's the one element of surprise to try and flip the mindset to change things? Mm -hmm. So now, <laughs> we'll stop on this, but now I just find that that's taken, it's like demystified emotional storytelling for me because I know what I'm aiming at. I know the psychology of the audience and the company. <laughs> Is it survival or attachment? Now I just ask myself one question. How do I surprise them? Wow. That's bonkers, man. <laughs> it's not hard though, is it? It's really useful though. So, I mean, yeah. so how, you know, I mean, okay, let's speak about surprise. So how do you, you know, have, have you, have you gone deeper on this? Have you started to think about how one can surprise it? I mean, is it as simple as the things that you find quite intuitive, like by being better, or is it coming into the, coming into the room in a Scooby-Doo costume, or is it, you know, is it, you know, um, you know, or is there a more conscious? You're action? laughing, and I know that you're kind of taking the piss a little bit, but that's <laughs> no, not a million miles away from the truth. And I'm going to try and be respectful to some of my colleagues, but and I won't give away the color either because it might give away the brand. But there was a meeting that we needed to go. It was a very disruptive meeting. We needed to show a completely different side of who we were. Mm -hmm. We knew that we could do stuff that this business needed. It was a hundred million dollar deal. They didn't quite believe that we had the chop because they had us you know a preconceived idea of the type of business we were so we needed to surprise them show up differently so they went dressed a certain way that was the original idea mm -hmm. as if it's like you know we're cool we believe in you we dress like you we believe like you mm -hmm. and i just looked at that straight away and was like you don't 
like that's the worst thing in the world you can do it's like my dad dancing at a wedding it's going to be awkward <laughs> it's not natural you're going to surprise them in a bad way because yeah. surprise can flip the other way too <laughs> it can go yeah i did love you and now i'm just you know shame sadness disgust <laughs> yeah so it can go south but the the generally the way that we look at it is it's not about us it's not about intuition at all really you're going to have a gut feeling and three quarters of all the decisions we make are gut feelings there's loads of science behind that but it's about an obsessive amount of research with your audience and i'm not talking about just being passionate about oh i'm interested in what they like you know, and even, you know, we know more than any, you know, with a business function really about personality profiles and interest and psychometrics, you know, and the high levels of personalization and personification, all of that. But I encourage teams to spend up to a week just researching the audience. So we have a team that will spend up to 37 hours just understanding whoever it is we're trying to influence mm -hmm. exactly what have they said in the past, Favorite phrases, favorite books, favorite songs. Where did they go on holiday? Cat's name, political leanings, favorite books. Is there phrases that they like to use? Is there certain sentence structure and words they like to use? And we take all of that and then we will rebuild our presentations in the style as if they wrote it themselves. And then they're like, oh shit, I didn't even know. First of all, it felt like, you know, there's a bond, but you start presenting these stories and they're like, can you even do that? you know because you got to build that emotional connection first and we don't spend anywhere near enough time obsessing over the audience yeah. you know an hour or two preparation for the meeting you're about to have no the best people in the world are obsessive to the point of it being a bit weird you know spend <laughs> 10 or 20 hours yeah yeah well, every it, it, panel everything at can everything at south by de mexico wherever it is that folks go whoever you're trying to reach it makes no, it makes perfect sense. You know, I, I think it's something that, you know, it, it's funny because we're speaking in the context of storytelling, but it is um, a, a marketing thing, you know, right? You know, mm -hmm. on a whole general level of understanding your audience. And, and we, we've had countless uh, sessions on personas or, you know, how to find market research and, and sort of get the insight from customers and stuff. I see in the chat, Baz Richardson's talking about the creative agency, that British rail pitch. If you yeah. guys Google that, that meeting, they even set up like a British Rail waiting room, from what I remember. There was magazines on the floor. The bins were full. There was an ashtray because it was back when ashtrays could be used. And it was so bad. And they left them hanging for that long. Uh, and uh, that was a great story of surprise. Agencies are brilliant at it. The problem is that they don't often follow through with the economics, you know, about what does this mean to the CFO? And yeah. then it falls over quite quickly. But that emotional piece up front just knocked my socks off. Nice. I love that. Mate, what a, what a thing. So I think we've got a takeaway right there, which is phenomenal. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, let's, let's, uh, in fact, that, you know, funnily enough, that was actually the top question from Jody. So in the Q and A, there's 32 open questions already. And, and oh the one God. that has the most thumbs up, uh, is actually the question from Jody who was mentioning, uh, the surprise element of it. So there you go. That's uh, that's pretty damn yeah, good. Check out Daniel Goldman's book. It's a really hard read and it's pretty dense <laughs> and it is quite academic, but it will knock your socks off. It's, it's, Amazing. Really good. it's worth it. 
Well, speaking of Baz, let's let's go to um, the next question that was open in the Q and A as well. Uh, so Baz uh, asks: uh, As soon as storytelling is mentioned, many of the board and stakeholders and decision makers, like chief financial officers, roll their eyes. So, in a huge organization like IBM, uh, full of potential story skeptics, how do you get buy-in to story-led marketing? People just want to sell stuff. I don't talk about storytelling. Um, uh, I always find it difficult to describe what it is that I'm doing. And when we hang out, we talk about oh, emotional yeah. stories, make people feel stuff. So they do stuff and hero's journey and all of that. Mm -hmm. People just want to sell stuff. They want to be more successful. Mm -hmm. If I could help you increase your win rate by 40%, if I could help you close a deal faster, if I could help you open up a new opportunity you've never had before or save a shitload of time, mm -hmm. you know, by crafting a narrative faster, who's not going to want that? You know, because no, no one's got enough time. The performance, the targets are too high. Everybody's yep. under pressure. When they found out how I'm going to do that, people are bought in. But generally at the top, it's the reason, with all respect, that I don't work in marketing and comms. Mm -hmm. um, I work in consulting because the only thing we care about for the most part is the financials and the balance sheet. You know, want to make money, save money, fund a deal, transform a business as fast as possible. If it's not on a dashboard that is completely accurate, that doesn't show engagement, reach, preference, consideration, awareness, all the 520 marketing metrics, I don't, I'm not saying I don't care about that. <laughs> but, but the folks that I'm speaking to, it's like, I'm going to move those levers. Yeah. I'm going to talk about markets, money, exposure, and risk. I'm going to talk about improving the quality of people's lives, reducing impacts on the planet transition to net zero how can i help you make more money and save more money increase retention or talent you know reduce customer churn and give me a number so when i start positioning it like that they realize and we opened our last session with this actually yeah storytelling yeah. is not a soft skill nice. but yet we treat it as a soft skill when we talk about storytelling on linkedin and often in marketing circles but it's not it's really yeah. effing hard but it's only hard because you've got to make that leap outside of marketing by yep. showing the value of a story. Like, what is it actually worth? Like in hardcore, don't give me assumed attribution metrics that are all like, well, we kind of within the room and there was an ad and they might have seen it seven times and therefore we believe in NPS. It's like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Show me exactly, you know. So the classes that I teach, um, there has to be half a billion dollars of pipeline in every room. And we proved genuinely, I don't say that as a, with an ego thing for the folks that I'm coaching, because I'm a performance coach for execs, because I know that the only way I'm going to gain credibility and trust is by showing of the folks in that room, mm -hmm. did they close the deal faster, increase the win rate, get a new opportunity they've never had, or like the way that Disney used to make movies to save time with story canvases. We talked about that last time. How can I help you do that? You know, when you've got a deal and you've got a meeting this Friday yeah. and you're losing your mind because you don't know how to connect with them. Well, then you use storytelling principles and structures to try and help accelerate that mm -hmm. process. Storytelling is not a soft skill. That's amazing, mate. I love that. Let's let's shift into energy because uh, I'm, I'm I'm conscious of time, not in a bad way. You know, just there's so much to discuss. So energy was something that you and I chatted about on the phone yesterday, and I, I think it might resonate with the folks watching in today. 
Yeah, I'd love to know what you guys think. But, you know, we chatted about Ritson. You know, you and I, Joe, are big fans of Ritson. He's an opinion writer, and you guys on this community know him really well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's there to upset people and antagonize them and be provocative. That's his job as an opinion writer. My favorite opinion writer is a guy I had the pleasure of working with a couple of years ago called Tom Friedman. And he's the top journalist for the New York Times opinion writer. He's the most engaged writer that they've ever had in their history. He's got three Pulitzer Prizes. The guy's flipping genius. And he has, on his business card, doesn't say Tom Friedman, New York Times, you know, three Pulitzer Prizes. It says Tom Friedman, heating and lighting. Nice. Yeah. And I'm like, Tom, what's that all about? And he said, that's all we do. Whether he's writing an opinion piece or what we do in communication, he says, that is all we ever do. We're trying to do a heating or a lighting. I'm trying to stoke up an emotion in you so that you feel something, mm-hmm. you know, so that I make you want to act. So that's like the eight emotions. For example, I stoke up that emotion so you might feel something, then do something. Or I'm going to illuminate something by simplifying complexity. I'm going to explain it in a way that you thought, oh, I've never saw it like that before. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. That's a different worldview. I've never looked at it that way before. Mm-hmm. You know, radical amounts of empathy. And when you're looking at heating and lighting, it's basically just energy and clarity. You know, I'm trying to create some heat or I'm trying to create some light. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I really like that a lot. I like that analogy that we're all in a heating and lighting business and you can apply that to whatever you're doing. So do you, when, when you go to write a story now, when you sort of sit down and you like doing a presentation or something, do you, do you literally think, you know, like, oh, this is going to be a, this is going to be a heating moment or, or this is going to be a light. I'm thinking moment. heating and lighting. I'm yeah. thinking of moments of surprise. Yeah. Most of the time I'm actually thinking attention spans mm-hmm. of, you know, with an executive, I've got a 75 second open to capture their attention, you know, cold open. I've probably got three minutes to make my pitch at the beginning let's say it's a, it's a half hour meeting and then their attention is going to flip in and out every six minutes. You know, science seems to tell us that with executives. So I kind of reverse engineer a meeting based upon how long it is. How many times is their attention going to wane mm-hmm. at each of those pivotal moments? What emotion do I want them to feel based upon that emotion? What am I likely to say? Is it a stat? Is it a story? Is it a case study? Is it a live demo? Am I going to stop sharing my screen and start crying and share a personal story? Like whatever, right? You want to make them remember something, you make them laugh. It's the quickest. So I just kind of, and that's, there's no emotion in that structure. I'm just going to take, say you say, you say we've got 30 minutes, Joe, to talk, mm-hmm. right? I've got a three minute cold open to set the scene. Mm-hmm. Tell them what you're about to tell them. Then you tell them and you tell them what you told them. So, okay, so three minutes to set the scene. Now we've got three acts of nine minutes. Mm -hmm. Three acts of nine minutes. So we've got three blocks. Within those nine minutes, you you have a three-act structure. Excite, disturb, assure. So three minutes, three minutes, three minutes. So I would look at a 30-minute meeting as basically three characters with three three three-act structures. And once I've got the shape of that talk, Then I start hanging the words and the numbers and the decks and everything on it. And then you can interrogate it through research and through rehearsals and practice. But that's, I find that's the easiest way to do it because it's it's formulaic. You can do that in seconds. Honestly, we could do it right now. I could even show you a website to go in and do it. But the fact it's so formulaic makes our life easier. I'm saving time showing you a narrative structure that works in Hollywood. 
so you know i mean like you said you could show it i mean i think that might be quite useful i mean if if that is possible then like i think there would be i tell you what let's do this (laughs) right um let's go let's go a little bit left field folks and i didn't know if we'd have chance to do this but if you guys don't mind can joe show you a video for two minutes it's a documentary um, that you should see that you've probably never seen before and it's about a brand new job title and it's about in fact watch the trailer first and then we'll do two minutes about it cool so we've got that up haven't we yep cool let's do that uh The showrunner is the lifeblood of a television show. It's a collaborative art form, but you still need that one central voice through which all these marvelous creative contributions are processed. Being a showrunner is utterly consuming. You're editing and writing and doing a hundred different things at once. It's straining, it's awful, I miss it terribly. Showrunning is like painting a painting while writing a novel while doing your taxes. It's a billion decisions a day. It is at the same time the best and the worst job. The shows have become much more cinematic in their scope and intention, and yet we're expected to deliver a show every seven days. Things are going well on your show if everybody's just a little annoyed with you. Part of the job is being the broad shoulders of the show. I am the king. Let's let's not forget that. But besides that, everybody's equal. Me and the little king wrote no dissent. You write something the first of the month, and then it's airing in, in a month. It's that urgency that's so exciting. Wow, I have stories I want to tell. I'm going to tell them. There's probably a certain rise in celebrity that goes along with the showrunner. I'm just a writer, and then I turn on ABC, and there's my ugly, bald head. How the hell did this happen? The age of showrunners being anonymous is over. Okay, so we, we can stop that. So what's, what's the context for that? You, you think about what he just said, left brain and right brain. It's the best job and the worst job in the world. You've got to manage all the logistics, the money, the targets, the scripts, the deadlines, the talents, all of that. New scripts every seven days. It's got to be original content, engage with the audience. But at the same time, you've got to be really creative, super emotional. You've got to connect with the audience in a deeper way. You've got to stare at the clouds a lot. It's incredibly heart-based. And showrunners are the best job in the world, I think, for marketers, because it's that intersection of both. It's about quality scripts on time. All showrunners have got imposter syndrome, feel like they're not doing a good enough job. 85% of TV show fails. 85% of transformation projects fail. You've got loads of staff relying upon you. You've got to break down complicated multi-season narratives into simple episodes and scenes. It's exactly what marketers do. You've got the art of trying to write a show every seven days. You've got the science of trying to manage the money in the network. So if you look at the structure that a showrunner would use, we've not tested this, Joe, but can I share my screen? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, let me, I think I just need to make you a co-host. Give me two seconds. There you go. Sorry, folks, this is is all on the fly. This is how we're supposed to do it, right? You can see my screen, right? (laughs) Yeah, we got it. (laughs) Right, so this is called Save the Cat. There's many storytelling folks, you know, like my good friend Troy on the line that understand this, that used this before. This is the way that any movie would 
be used. Anything, anytime you're trying to green light a show, Act one, act two, act three, it's three act structure, Aristotle, 335 BC, right? So you've got all of this in terms of a movie or a show. And I drew this on LinkedIn the other day, just for a bit of fun. It's my favorite movie, Princess Bride. And it's like, well, great, that's to entertain folks. And you can see ex every scene of how it fits in the Save the Cat model. Mm -hmm. But I use this for our speeches. <laughs> so this could be a sustainability speech. And you, I would never show most executives this because they'll be like, oh, that's a bit weird. But this is the process behind the scenes, right? Now, where this is interesting is that if you start thinking back to this mm -hmm. and you just need to understand what goes in each of those boxes, right, well, how do we do that? Now, if you, we won't do this now, but if you was to go and take a script and you do it longhand, you should write every script longhand. You go in the Save the Cat calculator Say you've got a one hour meeting with a client. Mm -hmm. A one hour meeting might be 60 slides, generally a slide a minute. So great, I've got, you can see the bottom of my screen here, right? Yeah, 60 yeah. slides, really tiny, sorry for the size. Um, so 60 slides. Now it's already showing me open an image slide one, theme stated slide three, the setup first seven, five slides, catalyst. Because <laughs> we're the catalyst that change things. Right, now what's the debate? It's all gonna go to shit because we introduced the debate slide seven to 14. So I'm basically recreating this for my client based upon a beat sheet. Amazing. And you can start unpacking that in as much detail as you want. And then you can bring in gunning fog index and word clouds, and you can test how many times have I used the word but in my script because that creates tension and obstacle. And that shows that it's a good story if you use the word but. So it's like, it's stupidly, simple tricks like that <laughs> when you're basically act like a showrunner uh -huh. in the boardroom in business right and it's and i love that analogy heating and lighting we're all showrunners we're all cat herders we're djs trying to remix stuff to a new audience we're conductors trying to get smart folks to come together but there's loads of analogies i think showrunner is the best one and it's a brand new job title and here's why it's also cool for marketers before the showrunner was invented, which was like 2014, 2013, usually directors could sack the writers. Mm -hmm. And you've seen, there's loads of examples of that, like Pretty Woman, these whole documentaries on Netflix about it, the movies that made us. Um, what's happened since streaming services, now the writers can sack the directors. There's been this massive power shift mm -hmm. where the writers are in control and like Aaron Sorkin and Shonda Rhimes and all these superstar showrunners, and I think that's, again, it's quite closely linked to marketers where marketers were sometimes a little bit lower on the food chain. Mm -hmm. And there's this time coming where we're the showrunners and that power shift, because we understand the audiences and what makes them tick. <laughs> we should be the ones leading the charge, right? Spot on. Amen. <laughs> uh, mate, you're just like, uh, so, you know, this is, this is a little bit, you know, like, um, well, the, the the chat features are attesting right now to uh, to, to. Sorry, that was a foxhole, but that no, was a good mate. Uh, I think Helen's just said, "I want to spend my day here" in in capital letters, and and the chat feature is is um is just attesting uh, to the experience which I'm going through right now, which is my mind is blowing on camera, you know. So uh, so thank you for that. You know, that's that's insane. Um, I, I wanted to ask, like, with with that structure that you had there, because. 
you've presented other structures in the past. So uh, you've broken okay. down Ken Robinson, for example, um, in, in your, your amazing book, by the way, I'll make sure to link it afterwards so people can see it. Um, and I can't remember whether it, it followed that exact same structure. Did it? Did it follow exactly the same structure? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Ken Robinson follows, you know, that that kind of excite, disturb, assure structure, three act structure uh -huh. you know, from Aristotle from years ago, poetics. Right. But the thing is, with all of these structures, there's millions of them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think you've got to treat them like a toolbox. Or if you're a golfer, you know, how many clubs have you got in the bag? You're going to have a different club for every shot. And not all of them are going to work. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to try and retrofit stuff into a certain structure to look like it works. But I think we just need to be aware of all the different structures that are available. Like read the writer's journey. You can now read all of the, like somebody recommended Will Storr's book, which is amazing, The Science of Storytelling. Go and read all of those books. Jonathan um, Atshaw, Storytelling Animal. Um, because once you know what all those structures are, yeah. then you've kind of got them in your toolkit. 100%. And well, then when you have to go and do that thing, you're aware of which structure is going to work for which situation. So I would look at back to the psychology of the exec I'm trying to influence, the archetype of the company, What's the stage? Is it virtual? Is it live? Is it a presenter? Is it short? Is it long? I write small talk. I write three minute speeches for some execs. Sounds ridiculous, but it works. Um, and then depending upon what I need to do, mm -hmm. I'm gonna look on my shelf and think, ah, that structure's perfect for this one. Interesting. So but if it's a big one, you're gonna use historically something that's more aligned to kind of stage or screen. I mean, so that's fascinating. And, and I guess the challenge here, right, is is you know. It, it's just time and energy, right? Time and energy dedicated to finding out the structures, you know, and, and, and that's probably what you've been doing all this period of time, you know, so that, that's why I wanted to ask that question, right? You know, is, is this the multi-tool or is it the tool on the shelf, you know, and, 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 and... Yeah, it's a bit of both. Yeah, okay, nice. I love that. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the chat feature is going, I, I am seeing your, uh, your, your comments. So uh, what I'll try and do is, is definitely collate all the books mentioned uh, in here. There was also a talk of a book club earlier in the chat feature. I'd love to do that one day. If, oh, if, can I recommend two books? Yeah, mate, go for it. Jesus. What, um, what time are we going till, by the way? Are we going long to the bottom of the hour or... Because well, you, you cut at quarter past sometimes. We usually finish at half past, but we can go for as long as you've got. Half past is cool. Yeah. Right. So um, who's read this in the chat? Ride of a Lifetime, Bob Iger. CEO of Disney. This is one of the best business books, business biographies I've read in forever. It's up there with Walter Isaacson, Steve Jobs and Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. I know many of you love that. And it's all about how Bob Iger transformed Disney. Now, old legacy company, tons of baggage, tons of people. This is the way we always used to do it. You know, it's not unlike parts of the big company that I work for. He had to come in and try and re-platform and re-transform this business with creative leadership. He was 10 years underneath the previous CEO. He, was, he became CEO. Nobody wanted him to become CEO. So that was a challenge, right? Because you've been 10 years underneath Michael Eisner. So why? You know, you're just going to be much of the same. Um, and obviously media entertainment's been massively disrupted. Steve Jobs hated Disney. And as you know, looking back, you know, well, Disney bought Pixar, Bob Iger became best friends with Steve Jobs. They bought Marvel, they bought Lucasfilm. This book unpacks how Disney did it. It also unpacks all of his leadership lessons. So it's great just for that. 
but it gets even better because when he was trying to be the CEO, somebody walked into his office and they dropped this big stack of paper on his desk and they said, um, this is for you. And Bob's like, what's that? It's like, this is your, this is your political campaign to become CEO. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm just going through a promotion panel to do the thing with the folks I already know. It's like, no, no, no. This is a political campaign and you need to brand yourself properly because most of these folks don't believe you've got the chops or they want to bring in an outsider. And there was all these famous celebrity types that were going to come in. The guy was called Scott Miller, right? And Scott Miller brands people. I'm not talking about any people. I'm talking about prime ministers and presidents and Obama in the early days. He worked with Steve Jobs and he branded Bob Iger, right? To run a political campaign with stump speeches and slogans very subtly. What does he stand for? You know, all of these things. And he wrote a book about it, The Leadership Campaign. <laughs> and the leadership campaign is basically, forget all the BS that you've heard about personal and professional branding. This is what you need. Because you're, all of you, no matter what you're doing, trying to win hearts and minds, the boardroom in your business, you know, you're trying to get a promotion, you're trying to launch a business or grow a business, you're running a political campaign. And that book tells you exactly how to do that as an individual whether you're a company of one or in a company like me of 220,000. And um, that knocked my socks off. I really like that because it was, it was so practical, yeah. the advice about how to apply this stuff in a way that doesn't make you look like a bit of a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> on. Well, I, I, I need to read these now. You know, like, I, I feel like we've got now got uh, days and weeks of books. So uh, thank you very, very much, man. Um, I want to take a couple of, there's 40 open questions now from the community. So I want to make sure that we Let's get- Let's do them quick fire. Yeah, sweet. All right, cool. Uh, so I think we've already sort of covered the top one kind of. So I'm going to go to the next one from Caroline who says, uh, what's your top tip for to really capture an audience quickly? That depends on who you are and how you're wired, I think. I mean, there is the element of surprise, but you just go and study cold opens. Nice. You know, you talk about being an obsessive storyteller, go and watch every one of your favorite speeches or talks or Oscar winning speeches, Matthew McConaughey, go on, like whoever, go and watch all the best talks you love the most mm -hmm. and focus on exactly what they did in the first two minutes. Mm. You know, even I'm not a massive fan of Toastmasters, but go and look at the folks who won Toastmasters because that's you've got to compete with 33,000 people across seven rounds. Mm -hmm. And that cold open of getting their attention mm -hmm. just in a set. I'll look at your favorite comedian, mm -hmm. like Hannah Gatsby, or look at, you know, um, Jerry Seinfeld, whoever. What did they do? And then you need to find your version of that. I've tried to be funny. I've tried to study improv and stand up, and I'm really not. And I've tried it and died many times. <laughs> but, but you find the thing that works for you. Yeah. Because yeah. generally speaking, according to business research from you know the strategic team at youtube they're looking at a b2b audience how to engage somebody that wants what you have so it's not five second and eight second goldfish attention spans that's bullshit you've got 75 seconds at least when you open yeah then you've probably got three minutes of small talk and generally attention spans fluctuate every six minutes mm -hmm. so if that's the written word that might be up to you know a thousand to two thousand words if that's six minutes of of talking that's going to be 900 words because most of us 
like now we're speaking quite fast about 150 words a minute so you just work out i need the best two minute cold open it's got to be drama and pauses so let's say it's 130 words a minute 120 words mm -hmm. so what's my 240 words yeah. to capture their imagination straight away what i'm about to show you i've never told anybody you know yeah, yeah. Or, or, or whatever you know you use a line but there's got to be the hook that gets the dopamine uh -huh. It makes them asking the four magic words of storytelling, according to Neil Gaiman and J.K. Rowling. And then what happened? Nice. If the audience ever asks that question, winner. We, we know we're doing our job well because they're on the edge of their seat wanting to know where to go next. <laughs> I love that. That, that, that. That's, yeah, Heather said, whoa, love that. <laughs> so, I love Neil Gaiman. <laughs> um so we'll go to the next one because we're, 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 we're quick firing uh the next one that was going to come up was christian uh so he said i keep getting writer's block when it comes to writing stories uh how can i solve that uh, stories are we talking business stories or are we talking well it's a good question I, I think in the context of marketing meetup then probably business stories right you've, you've got to write i'm not sure everybody has writer's block um, you're going to worry with that great, big, amazing idea. And sometimes it's going to come out after 2000 words of crap. Just write, put your pen on the paper and write and just keep writing and don't take the pen off the paper and just keep going. Cause half the time you're just trying to get rid of all the nonsense in your mind to get to the good stuff. Anyway, you know, I write everything longhand. I have a cheap notebook and a really expensive pen. And it's just that, cause I love, I want to make it the joy of writing it you know marilyn says i think in ink you know great speech writers say i think with my pen just write you're not going to show anyone you know it's going to be nonsense mm. but once something will start to form sooner rather than later but get rid of the distractions turn your technology off go to a different space put your favorite tune on repeat mm. or, or whatever it is that you need to do you know i find that whiskey helps or whatever the thing right and just just keep writing i know it's stupid advice but it's the only it's, way to solve it it's not it's not stupid advice and you know the reason why it's not stupid advice is that i you know and i'm sure there's a lot of people who uh sit here on on, on this chat today and if i think about my day it's you know everything is quick everything is quick yeah. you know and, and it's not just a founder thing it's a it's a marketing thing it's a you know whatever it may be but you know every time i speak with you you know you do the work you watch you watch the the movie you watch the cold intro you'll read the book you know you'll write things out longhand you know every one of these are examples of just bloody hell slow down do the work be there <laughs> you know and, and and it's okay it's okay yeah, and you don't you also don't need to go gary v on everyone and do the hustle and you know it's 70 80 it's like no no it's smart working which is why structures and frameworks work mm -hmm. because you're not just bouncing around you know aimlessly you've got a framework within which to do some damage mm -hmm. and you know what you're aiming at and you can be concise and you can edit well storytelling's about editing it's about elegance it's more important what you leave out you know than what you put in and that only comes from being able to organize things properly. Mm -hmm. Most of us are not that good at that. <laughs> well, no, no, you know, and it's impo almost impossible to do that if you've got a thousand things going on at once, right? You know, so to, to do that and, and focus uh, feels important. So 
I don't know. I mean, like as much as we're speaking about storytelling here, I think there's there's two takeaways I've taken from that quickly, which are there is storytelling even when you don't expect there is story storytelling, i.e. In, in the board meeting, in small talk, wherever it may be, but also the permission just to slow down a little bit and actually think about the stories that I'm telling, you know, and, and mm. um, that's that's wicked, mate. You know, I really appreciate that actually because uh, it's easy to sort of sit down after this webinar for the rest of the day and, and, and go into quick, quick fire mode, but actually to be purposeful and, and conscious on that. Yeah, absolutely. Slow down. Yeah, it's good. Um, so let's go to the next one from uh, Lucy. Now let's take Hannes. Uh, on social media, uh, brevity is important. Uh, how do you keep your stories as concise as possible while still remaining impactful? Um, you're talking to someone who's not a huge fan of social media, first of all. So that's got to be my caveat. <laughs> I used to be a big fan. And I was one of the first heads of social in Europe, but it's a very different beast these days. Let me let me give you a line from the boss, um, Bruce Springsteen. And I love this. This is my philosophy for social media, because, you know, I'm not a huge fan of LinkedIn, although I'm having some fun on it a little bit. Bruce Springsteen says, my career is just one long conversation with my audience. Mm -hmm. We mentioned it last time, I think, briefly. We might have talked about Bruce does his one plus one equals three. When the band comes together, magic things happen. Um, but that's my social media strategy. It's one long conversation with the audience. And social media is just little elements of that conversation. Mm -hmm. It's got to be consistent. It's got to be in the same tone. It's got to have empathy. It's got to you know, be respectful of the audience. What do you stand for? Don't try and attach a sustainability agenda to your brand if it doesn't fit. Sometimes it's okay just to make money, you know, whatever the thing is, you know, I hate saying, oh, be authentic, but be authentic, you know, lots and lots of small bite-sized conversations pieced together, whether that's the personality, the conversation of your brand or your individual personality. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Yeah. Know, nice conversation with my audience. Makes perfect sense. And, and on that, uh, there's a word that came up uh, here with um, Angie, uh, which was uh, editing in capital letters, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and so you also mentioned as part of your structure, when we were speaking about structures, that part of what you do is, um, or, or one of the important parts of storytelling is, is choosing what not to say as much as what to say. So do you is it quite intuitive at this stage for you to sort of nail in on these are the important parts of the story to tell or are you quite strict with your structure or where do you find your, your inspiration for editing your stories? Intuition's a really good word because it gets in the way a lot because yeah. we are just massively biased. Interesting. You know, yeah. Anyone that's familiar with cognitive bias, there's 18 different biases. Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge with cognitive bias is that we're often biased in ways and we don't even realize it. We're missing out on stuff and we have no idea what we're missing out on because we have a world view. It's back to, I mean, we, won't, we haven't got time, but if we were to look at things like truth and trust, there's three different kinds of trust. You know, or if you look at truth, you've got a personal truth, you've got political truth, you've got the objective truth. Personal truth, I believe it, right? Doesn't have to be true. Political truth, lots of people believe it. Again, shades of gray. Objective truth is fact, whether you like it or not, doesn't matter, scientific truth. Um, so you start looking at um, these kind of levels of my head's gone somewhere else now. Sorry, 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 sorry. Bring it back. What was the question, Joe? Uh, the, your, your, your framework for editing, like how you sort of uh, make sure that you, 
well, what you're trying to leave out. Yeah, cognitive bias. So it's not up to us to use our intuition because we think we know what the audience wants to hear. And often it's completely not true. So you need, it's why you don't edit your own stuff. You need a good editor, rehearse everything, record it on QuickTime, have somebody else look at it. If you've got a friendly in the company you're trying to influence or you're about to present to, get them to watch it. And they'll be like, oh, Joe, that was amazing, but you went a bit deep on this bit. That's a bit mm-hmm. sketchy. We don't care about that. But you didn't mention anything about this other thing that's really important to us. You might be too polite, you know, so you look at courtesy bias, confidence bias, you know, belief bias, gambler's fallacy. You know, we think we're going to win, but you've lost the last 19 to 20 times. So I would say study cognitive bias and help yourself to understand your intuition is probably going to fool you in terms of story, because it's not about what you want to say. It's about what they need to hear. And that's where you need a good editor and a few good folks around you to keep you honest. Preach. (laughs) And that's great because, again, it sort of comes back to what we started today with, right? You know, and you sort of said 38 hours on on researching your audience. But, you know, um, you know, you've got a team who do that. That's not a a golden rule. But, um, you know, again, it goes back to everything you said at the beginning about storytelling. Steve Jobs, right? You know, I'm more proud of the things we didn't do than I am of what we did. Same thing. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Sophie's asked for some uh, books on cognitive biases. Uh, it looks like there's some already been linked in the... Uh, in yeah, the- I mean, uh, th- there's loads of books. I mean, the, the Neuroscience of Leadership is amazing. Mm-hmm. That's a really good one. There's, um, you know, we mentioned the storytelling animal. I think we've already mentioned um, Science of Storytelling. Wired for Story by Lisa Cron is brilliant. C-R-O-N, Wired for Story. But I would encourage you to not do it in a book, go and do it on masterclass.com. Go on masterclass.com, subscribe, it's 190 quid, it's worth every penny if you're not on it already, and go and look at Neil deGrasse Tyson. Many of you will know who he is. If you're not in the UK, he's like the Brian Cox of America, National Geographic, Malcolm Gladwell's amazing. Masterclass is phenomenal. Watch Bill Nye talk about science communication. Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about truth and scientific communicating. You've got Aaron Sorkin and Shonda Rhimes talking about screenwriting. You've got Neil Gaiman talking about the art and science of writing a novel. Dan Brown, the science of how he wrote Da Vinci Code. You know, So I would go on masterclass, start with the scientific ones and then work backwards. Amazing, mate, unreal. It's, uh, it's 9.29, you know, so we're gonna tick over to 9.30 in a minute, but uh, dude. <laughs> session like i need you know there's these ones where you know i need to go back and 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 watch them again just to process but i feel like i've had a series of epiphanies here uh so thank you so so much for sharing it is a lot of fun and it's fun because of you it's fun because of everyone in the chat feature right now who is just like lighting it up thank you all so so much for contributing uh to an incredible session everyone um like <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen so many capital letters uh, in, <laughs> in in the chat feature. So um, I'm 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 impossibly grateful. I know Jeremy is too. Um, and what a way to see out season six, too. Um, so from me, I will be announcing the the next season of webinars very very soon. <laughs> You're Baz saying, Jeremy, please marry me. Um, 
we'll be announcing season seven of the webinars very very soon we've got a few weeks break so um that's that's you know it'll be nice to recharge the batteries and, and go again quite soon i'm very excited to share who's coming up um it's already looking very very great um with all that said uh jeremy thank you so much mate um unbelievable and uh, welcome thanks for having me good luck everyone you know go and tell stories that matter yeah, spot on. And on those words, we will leave you. Please do share on social media your biggest takeaway from today's session and say a big thank you to our sponsors. It makes a big difference. In the meantime, uh, we'll see you in a few weeks. And thank you, everyone. See you very, very soon. Bye now.